As far as I can tell, the 2020 election cycle's already over. And I got to be honest, I don't think anyone even wants to watch this video about Joe Biden because we've got other more important things to deal with. But let's be honest, there's supposed to be a presidential election happening. Several of the Democratic primaries have already been postponed for all intents and purposes. Joe Biden is the nominee. But now people are curious, where is Joe Biden? He's gone. Last week, he did a digital town hall that fell apart. He muttered and rambled and walked off camera, had no idea what was happening. And apparently, they've been talking about having him do virtual addresses to the nation to talk about what's happening, but they can't quite figure out how to work the dadgum internet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. That's, that's basically the issue. They're trying to figure out how to do teleconferencing. They don't know how. Donald Trump has already beaten Joe Biden. Now, has Donald Trump won re-election? I don't know. I do think in the long run, if Trump does this right, and many Americans think he is doing it right, this will absolutely secure him re-election. Now, there's a big risk. The market is tanking. His, his approval rating did drop a bit. But in the past couple of days, several polls have come out, now three, showing that the majority of Americans approve of the way Trump is handling the global pandemic. This is just absolute good news for Trump. In a time of crisis, he's showing that he's doing a good job and he's receiving praise for it. So let's, let's dive right in. And take a look at what's going on with the mystery. Has anyone seen Joe? Glenn Greenwald and others wonder why Biden appears to be avoiding the media. But the media is the big point now. Donald Trump is effectively running against the coronavirus. Joe Biden is irrelevant. Now, personally, I think even if Trump does a, does a bad job over the coronavirus, I think a lot of Americans aren't going to blame him for what's happening. It's an act of nature. And Trump is apparently doing his best. But would they really think Joe Biden could do a better job than Trump could right now? Look, even if Trump fails and messes up, I'm not confident Joe Biden could handle this. So what it really comes down to is the media, because try as he might, even though many in the media have praised Trump, Democratic governors like Newsom and Cuomo have praised Trump, even Ilhan Omar has praised Trump. Even with all of this, the media is still coming after him. In a rather shocking tell, CNN said that Trump was peddling unsubstantiated hope. Oh, heavens. Oh, no. The president is trying to stop Americans from feeling depressed and scared by offering them up potential solutions and being optimistic. Is there something wrong with being optimistic? I'm going to show you the stories where they actually went after Trump. And I'm going to break down some reality for you. But first, we need to ask the important questions like, where is Joe Biden? He's gone. Look, he's not even campaigning anymore, as far as I can tell. Before we get started, Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. Let's be real, man. People are losing their jobs like crazy. I'm eternally grateful that the industry I work in, I work for myself. I do commentary. It's digital. It uses the internet. I can work from home. But the reality is YouTube is actively choosing to, to, to demonetize basically every video that I make on this subject, and, they, uh, and they're actually suppressing the content. So there's not much I can do about it. But I entirely understand. You know what? I want you all to take care of yourselves and your friends and families first before you consider supporting me. So here's what you can do. Share this video or just subscribe and hit the notification bell because that really does help me, you know, continue my business. But let's get back to the news and figure out what's going on with creepy, sleepy Uncle Joe. The Daily Caller says, former vice president and Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden has seemingly been quiet in recent days as the coronavirus pandemic has escalated in the U.S., Biden has largely been out of the public eye since Sunday's Democratic presidential debate, leading hashtag where is Joe to trend Friday morning on Twitter. Joe Biden's this this tweet from Glenn Greenwald is absolutely glorious. Glenn, you nailed it. 
He says, Joe Biden's omnipresence, steely calm and inspiring leadership has shown the U.S. what a real president does in times of crisis. Oh, wait, has anyone seen Joe? Yeah, good question. Other anti-Biden lefties also chimed in to rip the former vice president for not making public appearances during the crisis. Where is Joe Biden? Sean King asked. Joe Biden is secretly at work building test kits and a vaccine, which is why we rarely hear anything from him, Matt Stoller said. Here's one. More and more people are saying it. Where is Joe Biden? Nando says, seriously, where is Joe Biden? Biden gave a speech in the pandemic earlier in March where he criticized President Donald Trump for calling the coronavirus a foreign virus and noting that it originated in the Chinese province of Wuhan. Biden accused the president of trafficking in in xenophobia in response to the virus. Biden is reportedly offering people a chance to video chat with him in a new fundraising initiative. A lot of people are concerned. It's not just about Joe Biden, you know, his appearances. He's not doing anything. He doesn't apparently doesn't even know what to do. But he also criticized Trump over the travel ban with China, calling it xenophobic. Yet Dr. Fauci, who everyone seems to love, said Trump's travel ban went a long way. And guess what? Trump enacted this travel ban in January. He organized the task force in January. Many people in the media are trying to make it seem like Trump was doing literally nothing. But while the Democrats were freaking out over impeachment, Donald Trump was still moving forward. He created the the coronavirus task force in January. What were the Democrats doing? Impeaching him. And now we can see what we're going, what what we can expect. Okay, look, if you voted for these Democrats in, in the House to enable this impeachment, guess what? Our efforts on the coronavirus may very well have been impeded because at a time when Trump was, was should have been focusing on his task force, which he did set up. OK, I'm, I think it's fair to point out his attention was divided. He had to send attorneys to defend him in an impeachment that ultimately failed. That's what the Democrats were doing as the coronavirus crisis was continuing to escalate around the world. So let's let's jump over to common dreams, because there's a really interesting point brought up by Peter Dow. He said, people, I mean this sincerely. Where is Joe? Trump is in front of the cameras every day, reassuring people, putting on the appearance of leadership. Where is Biden? Why isn't he dominating the airwaves? So let's say you're a progressive. You don't like Joe Biden. You're probably laughing and enjoying the roller coaster ride down as Bernie Sanders has failed. If you're a Trump supporter, you're laughing at both. And if you're a Biden Democrat, I guess if they, they apparently they exist, you're probably concerned that you bet on the wrong horse. Well, I guess a lot of these people thought Bernie Sanders was worse than Biden. They'd rather have sleepy, creepy Joe than a socialist. Fine. I guess I can, you know, I, I guess that's fair. Well, now you realized yeah, you should have went for Buttigieg, man, because Joe Biden is nowhere to be seen. Jeremy Scahill says, we were all told that we desperately needed need Joe Biden's leadership and experience. Now all we have to do is find him. How can anyone who is excited about Joe Biden being the nominee defend his remarkable lack of anything even vaguely resembling leadership at this crucial moment? And staffers posting tweets on his feed doesn't count. Well, there are some people coming to his defense. Politico says, quote, there is no playbook for this. Biden trapped in campaign limbo. Let's be fair. We are facing trying and unprecedented times. Trump is now for all intents and purposes, a wartime president. We're dealing with an invisible threat, a very serious threat. And around the world, people are locking down their borders, seizing supplies and undermining the globalist trade policies they've been pushing for for over a decade or longer. Now we're seeing people go right to the Trumpian argument. Control your borders, bring back manufacturing. It's exactly what Trump has been talking about. 
So for Trump, this has just been, it's been really, really good for him in a lot of ways. Now it's bad in a lot of ways. The GOP is concerned this really could upend things for him because the economy is taking a hit and economic forecast models show that in a bad economy, especially in quarter two of an, of an election year, it's bad news for an incumbent president. But I think people will forgive. I'm not going to blame him for this. In which case, what we're seeing now is a couple things. Trump is, is able to enact exactly what he wanted to enact. He's closed the, the, the northern and southern borders. He's bringing back trade. He's got the Defense Production Act. He is snapping his fingers and getting the job done. Asylum seekers are being turned away. New immigrants are being turned away. And the courts, they're not going to do it. They're not going to stop him. They're holding off because we're in an emergency. It's allowing Trump to move forward with his agenda unimpeded. But also, it's proving to people around the world that his agenda, a large portion of it at least, was completely correct. This is the unprecedented problem Joe Biden is facing. What could he possibly say if he went on camera and said, look, the first thing he does is that Trump should have instituted that travel ban on China. Oh, I'm sorry. The orange man bad narrative doesn't work now. Dr. Fauci came out on MSNBC of all places and said Trump, what, what Trump did shutting the borders has gone a long way. So Joe Biden tried criticizing that only to have it thrown back in his face to look foolish. If he came out now and said, Trump is wrong about trade with China, we should bring our factories back. People would be like, are you nuts? We don't have medical supplies right now because of this. Even Bernie Sanders has called for invoking the Defense Production Act to get our medical supplies back. In that case, what are you going to do? Trump has been wrong since he ran in the first place. Sorry, it ain't going to work. And what if he came out now and says, we should absolutely not be securing our borders? Uh Uh-oh, Joe Biden at the last debate, along with Bernie Sanders, said they wouldn't deport people. You want to tell Americans right now who overwhelmingly agree, including Democrats, agree with Trump's actions that he's taken so far, which includes closing the borders. Do you want to reverse that? You are choosing to side with the, with, with the tiny minority of the orange man bad people on the internet. This, I think Joe Biden knows this, and that's why he's saying nothing. His only option would, to speak, would be to speak up and say Trump is doing things wrong, but the majority of people like what Trump is doing. So the real foe that's, that's being faced by Donald Trump is facing down, it's actually the media. So here's a, a story from CNN. Donald Trump starts 2020 in the worst polling position since Harry Truman. This is from CNN. And I'm going to throw some shade at CNN. But I do want to at least point out a few things that you know are, are negatives towards uh, Trump a little bit in selection before we get into the media nonsense. So Trump is at a popular polling position negative. I honestly don't trust the polls. I don't, I don't know which ones to trust. To be fair, if we have three polls, we have Morning Consult, Harris, and ABC, all saying the majority of Americans support Trump's endeavors, uh, what he's doing on the coronavirus. That's three different polls. But we basically have every other political poll saying Trump is underwater in the popular vote. I just don't buy it. If Democrats are, are coming out now, if Trump is winning over the black community, how can these polls actually say this? It doesn't seem to make sense. Coronavirus upends nation. Three in four Americans' lives will be changed by this. This is the ABC poll we saw just the other day showing that 55% of Americans approve of this. And now we have the morning consult poll. Voters are warming to Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Net approval of Trump's response to the pandemic jumped 10 points in less than a week. Among conservatives, there is a concern that the coronavirus is an existential threat to Trump's reelection efforts. The coronavirus poses an existential threat to President Trump's 2020 reelection campaign insiders and and GOP operatives say, quote, he's not running against Joe Biden. He's running against a virus and the collateral damage from that. That's according to Steve Bannon, saying the outbreak and its ripple effects were potentially more complex, was the most complex threat ever faced by the United States. You could have a financial crash, 
economic Great Depression and a war against a bug all simultaneously. Today is November. Trump is going to be weighed and measured by the American people by how he handles the crisis. One Trump campaign operative was more blunt, saying if he F's up the economic stimulus around the coronavirus, he loses. He said Donald Trump's biggest hurdle to winning reelection has always been the economy. If the economy is going well and cruising along, he could have sailed to a reelection. If we hit that 20 percent unemployment mark, as the Treasury is projecting, it's going to be hard to say that the economy is doing well. Polls so far offer a mixed bag. An ABC Ipsos poll survey found that 55% of Americans approve of Trump. So I'm showing you this because I think it would be unfair to just sit here and act like everything is, you know, peaches and cream. Trump's going to sail in. And I've said for a long time, I've been bullish on Trump's reelection chances, but mostly because the economy was doing really, really well. But now there's something else that's going to play well for Donald Trump. We're in a crisis and you have a choice. Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I'm sorry, man. Even if Donald Trump does a bad job, you seriously think Joe Biden is going to do better? I'm sorry, man. Who's got confidence in that guy? He can't even speak up right now. Take a look at this. The White House Coronavirus Task Force Wikipedia page. And what does it say? The White House Coronavirus Task Force is a United States Department of State task force that coordinates and oversees the administration's efforts to monitor, prevent, contain, and mitigate the spread of the coronavirus disease, COVID-19. It was established on January 29. 2020. That's amazing because that's the time that they were impeaching the president. And it was in early February that we actually saw some resolution and it all backfired on the Democrats. I was talking about impeachment. And now here we are. Most of my videos, it was like the Democrats impeachment, the, the, the backfiring, what was going on. Now here we are. New Jersey, the state I live in, I'm in the, I'm in the Philly suburbs, has just instituted a stay at home order. That's it. We're quarantined. Apparently, there's only going to be essential stores open. They're saying that you can go and buy supplies. You can walk your dog. But for the most part, they're ordering everyone to stay inside. So we're being more reasonable than, say, China was. And I got to admit, I'm totally on board with doing with doing the right thing to make sure we get through this because the stories we're hearing about, you know, COVID-19 are horrifying. Well, Donald Trump has tried to offer up some optimism. He's talked about potential treatments, which are legitimate treatments. Notably, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin combined in one French study, though it was a very small sample size, is promising. It shows that it really does have an impact in reducing the symptoms and clearing people of COVID-19. If the media would smear him for simply being optimistic, let me ask you, what would you you prefer for Donald Trump to get up at the podium and say the end is nigh, panic, run for your lives? Would you prefer uh, or would you prefer him to say something like we're going to get through this? We've got some great news. There's good things happening. We're hoping for the best. The FDA will be on this pick one. Now I can be more reasonable. Would you prefer Trump to get up there and just bumble around and say, you know, whatever. But here's, here's what I see. If Trump went up at the podium and just started muttering incoherently like Joe Biden would, well, that's just a neutral, doesn't mean anything. Some people might get worried. Some people might disregard it. If Trump gets up there and tries to be optimistic, I can respect that. I'm not a fan of Trump misstating things. and He's getting quickly corrected on a lot of these things, but the guy's not perfect. Fine. I get it. He's Trump, but I'd prefer optimism. So I can respect that Donald Trump started the task force on January 29th. He then went on to downplay the seriousness of COVID-19. I personally think that was a mistake. I think now he's doing the right thing. And I think he's doing a pretty good job. But I also think it's fair to say that even if you think he was downplaying it, he definitely was still on top of doing something on January 29th by creating the task force. It could have been way later. I think the U.S. needs to do a lot better. But, you know, what else can I really say on that that, in that regard? Well, the Washington Post would prefer it if you didn't hear from anyone at all. Writing, 
The media must stop live broadcasting Trump's dangerous, destructive coronavirus briefings. Who are you talking to? The majority of Americans approve of what Trump is doing. This is absolutely insane to me. But this shows us who Trump's real enemy is in this election cycle. And I don't think it's the virus. Because whether or not Trump does a good or bad job, people are relying on him to do the right thing. And most people agree he is. Now, the virus is a big threat for him. But the media is framing in such a way to try and cause him maximum damage. But the American people are not buying it right now. The shocking thing about these polls, it's that Democrats are flipping. Of course, the Republicans support Trump. They mostly do and they mostly will. But his numbers are going up because Democrats are starting to come around. Around 30 percent of Democrats agree with Trump's handling of the coronavirus response. And we're seeing it from the governors of California and New York. So who does the media think they're talking to when they try and go after him like this? I guess they're grasping at whatever clickbait rage bait they can get. The Washington Post's Margaret Sullivan writes, it's self-aggrandizement, it's media bashing, it's exaggeration and outright lies. And we need to stop it. It's dangerous, she says. You know what? I'm not super, I'm not, I'm not interested. Now is not the time. Trump is not perfect, but he is the president we have. What are you going to do? You're going to try and complain and disrupt him when we're dealing with this crisis. Now, the best thing you can do is back off and give criti- uh, um, constructive criticism, not threaten to shut him down or accuse him of all these bad things, or worse still, what CNN did. Trump address, Trump address sparks chaos as coronavirus crisis deepens. There's literally nothing the guy can do. I'm sorry. There's literally nothing Trump could do. And I think we all get it. I've never been a big fan of the guy, but right now I'm not so concerned about Trump's character and his, his domestic policy positions. I care about the coronavirus and I care about us getting through this, being safe, fixing the economy. When Donald Trump came out and addressed the nation saying, listen, we're going to take some measures. He said, we're going to ban travel from Europe. CNN called it sparking chaos. So what, what should he have done? Well, when Trump was saying everything's going to be okay, they accused him of ignoring the problem. A rock in a hard place. No matter what he does, the media will continue to bash him. Over on Twitter, Donald Trump said, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin taken together have a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine. The FDA has moved mountains. Thank you. Hopefully they will be put in use immediately. People are dying. Move fast and God bless everyone. He then tagged the FDA and people from the CDC and the DHS. Well, what Trump is saying is true. It's promising. We don't know yet, but Trump is trying to at least keep people positive. Hey, morale booster, right? It's not perfect, but people need hope. They need to believe that this will come to an end, that we are working towards solution and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. When people feel like there is no solution, there is no light, they panic and they decide to operate on an every man for themselves mentality. But when Trump comes out and says, guess what? We've got promising news. This is good news. It's not perfect. There's no guarantees. But it shows everyone, here's the target. Stay focused. This is what we're striving for. According to TechCrunch, a French study finds anti-malarial and antibiotic combo could reduce COVID-19 duration. We can see this graph and we can see the control group, the hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine group, and the combination of hydrochloroquine and azithromycin. When people were put on azithromycin and hydrochloroquine, from day two to day three, a major percentage of, of people in the study were, were appa- apparently cleared. But TechCrunch does go, go on to say, these results represent a limited study with a smaller number of patients, but they are promising, especially when combined with earlier reports from patients in China with the same treatment options. 
Researchers globally are testing a number of potential treatments. There are no confirmed effective treatments specifically for COVID-19 to date, but regulators and medical researchers everywhere are working hard to get through the process of testing and approvals in search of something that can at least reduce the duration and severity or severity of symptoms in patients. Now, as we often see, the media will report something. Case in point, TechCrunch said, this is promising. They straight up said they, they are promising. It's a limited study. They are promising. So Trump tweets out the information taken together have a real chance. These are game changers. It's promising. What does the media do? Trump peddles unsubstantiated hope in dark times. There is nothing the man could do. So what am I supposed to believe? Not the media. That's why I don't care anymore. I'm just so over all of the nonstop screeching. We are not in a position to play these games anymore, media. Now is the time to, 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 to pull back and say we are leading a, a concerted effort together as Americans to get through this one. I'm going to be trapped in my house. I hope, you, 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 uh, every, I hope they're willing to take the same precautions and sacrifice in the same way for the betterment of all, each and every one of us. So Donald Trump is a bit optimistic. Now, you shouldn't go and take those drugs for sure. You need a doctor to prescribe it. And that means we need the FDA to go through what the dosage is and, and how it's going to be applied. But we are apparently going to be taking data from other countries. That's one thing Trump has said. Well, CNN doesn't like the fact that Trump is going to come out and say, we're going to do better. We're going to make it through this one. What is a president supposed to do? I mean, when Trump came out, Dana Bash of CNN praised him. Yet not everyone at CNS, CNN seems to share that sentiment, but most Americans do. And so I'll tell you what, as we see over and over again, Americans are not trusting of the press. This is why I, I know we're preaching to the choir. Everybody sort of gets it. That's why you're watching my channel, right? Because we all get it. Joe Biden's gone missing. He is not somebody that we can rely on in times of crisis. He does not use the internet. He mumbles incoherently. The race is over. Trump is running now against the virus, but more importantly, against a media that would take anything he does and make it negative. When Trump launches the task force and freezes travel to China, they called him a xenophobe. They ran story after story saying he was overreacting and travel restrictions won't stop this. Then we started seeing every other country do the same thing. Then they shut up. Then a story comes out about a potential, a potential treatment. And when Trump tweets it out, they come after him again. Now they're saying, just shut off the press, shut off the press. You know what? You want to know why I think the Washington Post says the media must stop live broadcasting Trump's dangerous, destructive coronavirus briefings. I don't think it has anything to do with anything this woman said. I think it's simple. Dana Bash of CNN said, this is the leader people need right now. Uh oh, that means Trump's going to win. He's winning over people. The majority of Americans are now agreeing with him, saying he's doing the right thing. And that's good news for his reelection. Well, they can never let a good crisis go to waste. So they try to smear the president. And when that didn't work, they said, you know what? Just shut his events down. Yeah, because we'd apparently be better off knowing nothing and not hearing from the coronavirus task force. The media is despicable. They're absolutely despicable. Now, there's many people who do a great job. I obviously use them as sources. So there's a lot we can count on. But there are a lot of corrupt individuals working in media. And I don't know what you do about it. I mean, they're allowed to say the stupid things they say. But I just look at this and I see people who want to just throw the wrench in the spokes. They don't care about the rest of us. Orange man is bad, period. And we will obstruct him by any means necessary. In the end, who would you vote for? Missing, sleepy, creepy Uncle Joe? He's gone. So what's your choice? I don't know what the media is even trying to do at this point. Cater to the, you know, 35% of Americans who are now opposed, or it's actually around 40, 43, I think, who don't like Trump's job on the, uh, on the uh, coronavirus. Thanks for helping make things worse. 
All right. Look, I don't think the guy's perfect. I didn't vote for him. All I know is we have bigger things to worry about. I'll see you all in the next segment at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. It is a different channel. Thanks for hanging out. President Donald Trump has declared New York to be a disaster area. The army is set to deploy. Hotels and sports arenas are going to be turned into emergency hospitals. And it looks like we're facing an absolute worst case scenario. In Italy, their military was called in. You know why? To bring out the bodies because they're looking at almost 26 dead per hour. Do you know what the flu mortality rate per hour is based on CDC estimates? Between October 1st and February 1st, they estimate around 12,000 people may have died. They're estimates. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. That's their best guess. Based on how many hours there are, 2,952 between those dates, we're looking at around four deaths per hour in the past six months. The coronavirus in Italy is killing 26 people per hour. Now in New York, it's at two per hour. It's likely going to go up. And this is going to get seriously bad. I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm just going to read you the news and we're going to go through this stuff. I'm going to show you some data. People have been saying over and over again, it's just the flu. It's just the flu. Even the other day on the, the live show I do, Timcast IRL, we had people asking, why should I care about this compared to you know, the flu? The flu killed so many more people. It's almost like you're, you know, you're watching the flu, which is already well-developed, and you're looking at a new virus that is now sweeping across the world. And the reason why the numbers aren't there is because they started at different points. If this gets out of control like it did in Italy, and it looks like it might, we are going to see something absolutely devastating. In China, videos are emerging of people opening up, you know, unsealing apartments, and there are bodies strewn about the, the, the apartments. I worry that in places like New York with very, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dense population, there are a lot of people who live alone. And a couple months will go by. People aren't going to hear from their friends. You know, I mean, look, you have friends, right? You have family. You don't talk to literally every single friend you know or every coworker. There's going to be some people who kind of drop off and it's going to be normal because we're going to be staying in touch with our immediate friends and family. I'm worried that in a few months in places like New York, they're going to, there's going to be people who just don't show up, never respond, and they're going to get ignored because people are dealing with their own lives. And we're going to see the same thing we saw in China. Someone's going to eventually go and open up the apartment and they're going to find the person living there relatively young, deceased. I want to show you this story, but I also have something that is probably scary. This is from ProPublica. And I'm going to tell you this right now. A lot of people, you know, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to put, up, put, it, uh, put it out there. People are saying, you know, the media is fear mongering. They're making things worse and all that stuff. I don't tell you, man. I really, really don't. I'm going to stay at home. Apparently, New Jersey is set to announce a shelter in place order. The same as Illinois, New York, and California. Don't go outside. And I got to be honest, I don't want to. I don't want to go to the store. I don't want to deal with this. The stories from doctors that I've been reading are horrifying. And I've been reading this stuff since January. I've been watching this video since January. And I think we are now looking at an absolute worst case scenario. So I hope you've bought supplies. I hope you've done what you've needed to do. But I've got a few things I want to show you. I want to show you some data comparing where we are to where Italy is. And I'm going to say this, look, it may be too late. What Max Fisher here on Twitter points out is that Italy took action when things started getting bad, but there's a two-week delay from incubation. This is why this, this, this virus is such a worst-case scenario. People keep saying, only 50 people have died, only 200. Well, 
That's because we're catching it early and it's going to grow exponentially. But because humans react this way, ah, so what? More people have died from the flu. They do nothing. And then by the time they do react, there's a two week incubation, two weeks go by. And then Italy actually calls in the military to bring the bodies out. That's how bad this is. I'm hoping all of this is blown up proportion. I honestly, I don't know. I'm not going to make that assumption because Donald Trump has just declared New York to be a disaster area and the army is being deployed. This seems like an absolute worst case scenario. So I'm going to do something now that a lot of people uh, uh, have criticized me for. I don't care. I really, really don't. I, I'm going to I'm going to shout out safeandreadymeals.com because at this point, the stuff I'm seeing has me worried. Don't panic. Seriously, I, gotta, I, I, I can't say that enough. You got to remain calm and strategize. And that's what this is for. Now, there is a serious shipping delay for safe and ready meals. This uh, absolutely does help support my channel. I will be completely honest with you. I posted this on Twitter. 90 plus percent of the videos I do are completely suppressed and demonetized. I've been fighting with Google about this. It has a serious impact on my ability to work. What's really frustrating about this, and my, and my sympathies go out to all of those who have lost their jobs, is that my, my industry, you know, political commentary and stuff, isn't facing the same shutdown as the service industry. So again, I understand I've got it better than a lot of people. I'm still working. But YouTube is actively choosing to shut me down. So I'll be honest. When you order from Safe and Ready Meals, it does support uh, my channel. This is a sponsored uh, spot. But this is legit, and I really mean this. We are dealing with supply chain disruption. The stores have been restocked. I've gone to the store. Some things are missing and I've grabbed some essentials and I'm, I'm fairly confident we're going to be okay for the time being. But I'm not an expert. I can't see the whole supply chain. So I will tell you this. I have emergency food. We are dealing with unprecedented, unprecedented times. Never let anyone shame you into not taking care of yourself, your friends, your family. Anyone who thinks they know what's going to happen is, is lying to you because I couldn't even predict it. We would get to the point where Trump would call in the army into New York. That I woke up to and I was like, man. And then I turn on the news and, and, New Jer- and they're saying the governor of New Jersey is set to announce a shelter in place. And I'm just like, I'm seriously glad I got, we got, I got the emergency stuff and I got regular supplies. What I do with this stuff, this, uh, this two week, four week, again, serious shipping delays. But when you order, you get your place in line and it comes as it comes. I put the stuff in the closet I, and I just kind of forget about it. And it's an absolute worst case scenario. But let me tell you something, man. Let me just say one more time. The link will be in the description below. You can go to safeandreadymeals.com if you're interested. If you don't like me doing it, I'm sorry, dude, too bad. I've gotten so many emails from people who are in countries that have hard lockdown. I've gotten emails from people who are in Italy who went out and bought supplies. And I'm, I am getting slammed by people saying, thank you for, for, for letting us know because local stores are completely, you know, being, their shelves are being stripped. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I don't know. All I know is this is what I did. And if you want to support the channel, if it's something you think that would be good for you, just do it. This is not, you know, and it's really annoying because so many of these nasty media people are calling it like emergency prepper kits and stuff like that. Dude, it's just regular dry supply food. It's not like fire sticks and like tents and I'm like, that doesn't come with a bow and arrow or anything like that. It's literally just food. You can order it and it comes. Check it out if you want to. But the reason why I did this shout out, and I haven't done it in a while, because, uh, you know, a part of me, I, I, I have scruples. I'm kind of like, dude, I really don't want to be, you know, uh, shouting this kind of stuff out. Because, again, complete honesty, it, it does. I, I, I get uh, it's a sponsor spot, right? It's a sponsored you know, program. But I saw this. This is the headline from Daily Mail. And I'm just like, dude, what comes next? That's what I was saying, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. 
or, or not even a couple weeks ago, it feels like an eternity, but it was only last week or a few days ago, New Jersey instituted a curfew. Now they're calling it a strongly suggested curfew. And the reality is that even though they're doing these shelter in place orders, you can still go outside. We are still, uh, I, I have a tremendous respect for this country. And it's frustrating to see all these young people partying and dancing like they don't care. But I am grateful that we live in America, not China, where they're like barricading people's doors shut so they can't escape. In America, you can go outside, walk your dog, buy food, and they're just telling you you need to abide by these, 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 these rules. The story from ProPublica is, is terrifying. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit. The Daily Mail says, Donald Trump has declared New York State a major disaster area as the number of confirmed coronavirus cases skyrockets. And New York City was declared the epicenter of the U.S. outbreak by Bill de Blasio. The U.S. military will now be called in. And the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers have said they plan to take over hotels, sports arenas, college dorms, and other buildings in a bid to bolster the number of available hospital rooms. De Blasio had also urged Trump to send in the military and its logistical support to hard-hit New York State, California, and Seattle on Wednesday. On Friday, de Blasio said, we constitute 30% of the cases in the U.S. and 70% of the cases in New York State. Whether we like it or not, we are the epicenter. The president's declaration comes as, as a hospital in the Bronx revealed it is running low on ventilators. And a Queens doctor revealed that an elderly patient experienced coronavirus symptoms died on the hospital ward floor. A lot of people are just saying, so what? It's only infecting the elderly. That is not true. It's hubris, man. I cannot stand it. People who think they're smarter, they're better, they're faster. The Dunning-Kruger effect, which is becoming a, a popular term right now. People who are too stupid to comprehend what's really going on, but thinking they're smarter than everyone else. Let me tell you, look, man, I don't know. You, you, can, you, can, you can accuse the meat of everything, but the numbers we're seeing show that there is a massive portion of younger people who are being infected. ProPublica talks about people who are, who are young and healthy being slammed. A medical worker describes terrifying lung failure from COVID-19, even in his young patients. It first struck me how different it was when I saw my first coronavirus patient go bad. I was like, holy S, this is not the flu. Watching this relatively young guy ga- gasping for air, pink frothy secretions coming out of his tube. There was a naysayer on Twitter who was like a, uh, a medical worker who's also, you know, a stock market tracking person, whatever. I don't know. This is a viral thread where they were saying over and over again, the numbers are just like the flu. This is ridiculous. The panic is unjust. People need to calm down until they saw their first wave of cases and their tune changed immediately. Oh, my God. This is like nothing I've ever seen before. Young people with severe pneumonia. This is not a joke. This is this is let me uh, let me jump down to this passage. It's called acute respiratory disease syndrome, ARDS. That means the lungs are filled with fluid. And it's notable for the way the x-ray looks. The entire lung is basically whited out from fluid. Patients with ARDS are extremely difficult to oxygenate. It has, it has a really high mortality rate, about 40%. The way to manage is to put a patient on a ventilator. The additional pressure helps the oxygen get into the bloodstream. Normally, ARDS is something that happens over time as the lungs get more and more inflamed. But with this virus, it seems like it happens overnight. When you're healthy, your lung is made up of little balloons, like a tree is made out of a bunch of little leaves. The lung is made of little air sacs that are called alveoli. When you breathe in, all of those little uh, little air sacs inflate, and then they have capillaries in the walls, little blood vessels. The oxygen gets from the air in the lung into the blood so it can be carried around the body. 
Typically with ARDS, the lungs become inflamed. It's like inflammation anywhere. If you have to burn, if you have a burn in your arm, the skin around it turns red from additional blood flow. The body is sending in additional nutrients to heal. The problem is when that happens in your lungs, fluid and extra blood starts going to the lungs. Viruses can injure cells in the walls of the alveoli. So the fluid leaks into the alveoli. A telltale sign of ARDS in an x-ray is what's called ground glass opacity, like an old fashioned ground glass privacy window in a shower. And lungs look that way because fluid is white on an x-ray. So the lung looks like white ground glass or sometimes pure white because the lung is filled with so much fluid displacing where the air would normally be. With our coronavirus patients, once they're on ventilators, we need about the highest setting that we can do, about 90% oxygen and 16 of, of PEEP, positive end expiratory pressure, which keeps the lung inflated. This is nearly as high as I've ever seen. The level we're at means we are running out of options. In my experience, the severity of ARDS is usually more typical of someone who has a near drowning experience. They have a bunch of dirty water in their lungs or people who inhale caustic gas, especially for it to have such an acute onset like that. I've never seen a microorganism or an infectious process cause such acute damage to the lungs so rapidly. That was what really shocked me. I want to read a little bit more, but I want to point out all these dumb young people feeling, you know, because they look at the mortality rate. These doctors are, saying, are, are, are shocked and terrified. There was a doctor in California who, when he first saw a couple people in their 40s, he freaked out and started posting like crazy. This is nuts. I'll take their word for it, man. I'm not ready to gamble with my lungs. What we're hearing from various sources, doctors, is that young people are one of the, the, the younger, younger group, one of the largest brackets being hospitalized. However, they respond extremely well to ventilation. But we are running out of ventilators. In the Spanish flu in 1918, the first wave hit the elderly. The second wave hit the young people. And hubris will always be your downfall. You must be vigilant. You must take care of yourselves and take this stuff seriously. You know what, man? Part of me wants to be defiant. You know, I see these orders from the government, the lockdown and stuff, and it worries me. Part of me says, I don't want to be stuck here, but what's the best, what's, what's the best thing you can do? We're all in this together. It's, it's time America's got to come together and we've got to unify and do something about this because every day it seems like the news is getting worse. Now, let me show you. Let me look. I, oh, man, I got I to gotta read this for you. It first struck me how different it was when I saw my first coronavirus patient go bad. I was like, holy S, this is not the flu. Watching this relatively young guy gasping for air, pink frothy secretions coming out of his tube and out of his mouth. The ventilator should have been doing the work of breathing, but he was still gasping for air moving his mouth, moving his body, struggling. We had to restrain him. With all the coronavirus patients, we've had to restrain them. They really hyperventilate, really struggle to breathe. When you're in that mind state of struggling to breathe and delirious with fever, you don't know when someone is trying to help you. So you'll try to rip the breathing tube out because you feel it is choking you, but you are drowning. When someone has an infection, I'm used to seeing the normal colors you'd associate with it, green and yellows. The coronavirus patients with ARDS have been having a lot of secretions that are actually pink because they're filled with blood cells that are leaking into the airways. They are essentially drowning in their own blood and fluids because their lungs are so full. So we're constantly having to suction out the secretions every time we go to their rooms. Before this, we were all joking. It's grim humor. If you are exposed to the virus and test positive and go on quarantine, you get paid. We were all joking. 
I want to get the coronavirus because then I get paid vacation from work. And once I saw these patients with it, I was like, holy S, I do not want to catch this. And I don't want anyone I know to catch this. I worked a long stretch of days last week, and I watched it go from this novelty to a serious issue. We had one or two patients at our hospital, and then five to 10 patients, and then 20 patients. Every day, the intensity kept ratcheting up. More patients, and the patients themselves are starting to get sicker and sicker. When it first started, we all had tons of equipment, tons of supplies. And as we started getting more patients, we started to run out. They had to ration supplies. At first, we were trying to use one mask per patient. Then it was just, you get one mask for positive patients, another mask for everyone else. And now it's just, you get one mask. I work 12-hour shifts. Right now, we are running about four times the number of ventilators than we, are normally, than we normally have going. We have such a large volume of patients, but it's really hard to find enough people to fill all the shifts. The caregiver to patient ratio has gone down, and you can't spend as much time with each patient. You can't adjust the vent settings as aggressively because you're not going into the room as often. And we're also trying to avoid going into the room as much as possible to reduce infection risk of staff and to conserve, conserve personal protective equipment. I'm, I'm going to stop here reading this. This is, this is really, really terrifying stuff. So you can get mad at me. You can call it fear money mongering. You can call it panic. We're well beyond that. It's about time for all of you to shut up. The army is being called in. These doctors are in panic and this is getting bad. Vox published this, how seasonal flu and COVID-19 compare. The RO number, estimate of how many people will be infected by an average individual with the disease. The flu, 1.3. COVID-19, 2 in the bottom range and 2.5 in the top range. So potentially around double. The incubation time for the flu is between one and four days, with it typically being about a day, which means we can catch it, we can track it. With COVID, it's one to 14, meaning the, the, the length at which people could be walking around spreading this is a long time and not realize it. And you just saw from these doctors, this is this, I don't know how to say to you, man. The hospitalization rate for flu cases, 2%. For COVID, it's 19 the case fatality rate for flu is 0.1%. And for COVID-19, it's 1% to 3.4%. In Italy, it's around 7%. And for closed cases, around 10% have died. So we'll see. As long as our medical system can ventilate people, you, you saw the same thing I did. That was horrifying. They're, they're forcing oxygen into your lungs at full pressure to make sure the air can still get to your blood and people are still gagging. I've seen a lot of people on the news. There's a lot of people trying to say, you know, things will be okay. I've had things that are worse. I think we're beyond this point, man. I'm reading the same thing everyone else is reading. So again, you want to say it's fear mongering, it's panic. The army is being called into New York. Doctors are are freaking out. The number of, of people dying is getting scary. Here's what I tweeted. Between October 1st and February 1st, the CDC estimates 12,000 people died of the flu. In, in one day, Italy reported 627 deaths. There are 2,952 hours between October 1st and February 1st, giving us about four deaths per hour due to the flu. Italy just saw 26 deaths per hour. Coronavirus is no joke. My math may be a little, little off, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one. I'm pretty sure I did the math. Okay, if I didn't, by all means, criticize me. I just did a quick, quick math thing trying to calculate this. New York right now is at around two deaths per, uh, per hour. It is still below the flu. But as the number of infected increase exponentially, this is why people are reacting this way. 
if you look at the number of flu deaths right now compared to the number of coronavirus deaths right now, you're going to say this makes no sense. And many people are. And that is ignorant. The flu has been active for a long time. The flu has a one day incubation period, it doesn't infect as many people. And now I'm going to show you what, where it gets particularly scary for me. Max Fisher tweeted, I keep thinking about Lodi and Bergamo, two small cities in northern Italy, both hit by coronavirus around February 23rd. Their infection rates look looked identical for weeks until on March 8th, Bergamo surged so rapidly that the military was later sent in to relieve overwhelmed morgues. What happened on March 8th? Nothing. By then, both had similar policies in place, including social distancing. The crucial moment was February 23rd. When the first cases appeared, Lodi immediately imposed social distancing interventions. Bergamo waited two weeks until March 7th. In those weeks from February 23rd to March 7th, the two cities had near identical case and transmission rates. Lodi's harsh rules looked unsuccessful, even counterproductive. Their case rate was rising right in tandem with Bergamo's, where there were no such policies in place. So why did Bergamo's case and transmission rate surge after the city intervened, but not before? Why did Lodi's intervention look useless for the first two weeks? Over and over, we see a seven to 14 day lag between when outbreaks actually occur and when they become apparent. The time uh, between when someone is infected and when when they're recorded as infected can get as high as two weeks. First, it's a five day incubation period, then a few days to begin taking symptoms seriously. Then a wait for the test, then another wait for the results up, up to two weeks. The two week lag is a disaster. Uncontrolled COVID-19 infections can double about every two days. That means in two weeks, it can double seven times, increasing by a factor of 128. Think about it like looking at a faraway star. You're actually seeing the star as it was millions of years ago. Coronavirus can be like that. We're often looking at and responding to infection numbers from two weeks ago, but that might be one 128th of the reality. That was what happened in Lodi and Bergamo. Lodi's intervention took two weeks to register, during which time it actually, its actually successful policies looked failed. Bergamo waited to act until the numbers were bad, by which time the reality on the ground was catastrophic. I keep thinking about Lodi and Bergamo when I look at the responses across the USA today. In Virginia, for example, the numbers aren't too bad, but authorities, authorities are moving awfully slowly. Reminds you of Bergamo, doesn't it? I can only tell you what I'm seeing and what I'm reading. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe people are freaking out. I don't know. I don't know, man. Trump just set to deploy the army. So, so you tell me. Don't panic. I'm not. I'm chilling at home. I'm concerned. This is worrying. And we're looking at what I think is like a, one of the wor- is, is a worst case scenario. We're running out of ventilators. The army is coming in. But I'll tell you what. The best thing you can do is shelter at home. And that's why they're doing these things. Dr. Fauci, everybody seems to love this guy and trust him, had said, we need to be overly dramatic and be criticized for being overly, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, let's be overly dramatic and get criticized for it instead of moseying along, moseying, moseying along slowly. Think about what I've said in terms of protecting yourself. As you go out to the store, you know, the people who are buying 50 packs of toilet paper, these people are nuts. You want to make sure you just have a normal supply of, of beans, maybe a couple of weeks. I don't know. You don't want to overreact. The emergency food supplies that I promoted are something different. All right. These are things you can put in your closet and they're for emergencies. You hopefully don't need to use them. But there are people every step of the way that have looked at me and and insulted me and mocked me all throughout my life and career. I've been in dangerous conflict zones 
I have seen people die. And I have seen people think they're smarter every step of the way. These people are morons. When I was in Ferguson, I was getting out of an SUV. This was during a time of rioting. And I put on a bulletproof vest, as did a couple other people who were with me. I was working for Vice at the time. Another journalist, presumably from some network, walked by and started laughing and scoffing at us. That day, several shots rang out. People got shot. It's my understanding. It's been a long time. But my understanding is that several people did end up getting shot during those riots. I could be wrong about that. But there is a video of bullets flying and the police ordering us to run as everyone hits the deck. I didn't get shot, fortunately. I did get shot at. Oh, yeah. And I hit the deck fast. There were several instances I was shot at. And that guy wanted to laugh at me. And I don't care. (laughs) You can laugh at me all day and night. And they poked fun at the fact that I'm walking around wearing this vest. Bro, I'm from Chicago. That's St. Louis. It's not the same place, but I understand how things go down. And these people think they're smarter every step of the way. When I've bugged out, when I've hit the deck, and I've had these morons, the active shooting in Ferguson on several occasions when I was down there. And I remember one guy turning to me and saying, those fireworks? I remember one journalist, when everyone in the area hits the floor, all the locals, they stood up, standing around, smirking, saying, it's just fireworks, calm down. And I would always say this, do you see anyone carrying fireworks? Do you see people with guns? Why would you make that assumption? So no, you don't panic. But all these people who think they're smarter than you, who will laugh at you and say this, this is no big deal. And all the people who do the opposite and screech at the top of their lungs and go and steal or, or loot a bunch of toilet paper. Those people are nuts. The rest of us who are remaining calm, but focused, who are planning and preparing and staying vigilant are the ones who will make it out of this best. But my, my, my hope is for everybody to, to make it through healthy. I hope the government pulls through. And I am absolutely at this point reading these stories worried. And um, Trump has my support as far as it goes with everything he's doing in, in regard to make sure we get through this. The governors are saying it. People like Ilhan Omar are saying it. The pundits are saying it. It's about time we shut up the bicker. We shut down the bickering. The pilot needs to fly this plane. Trump is deploying the army. I defer to the expertise of, of these people to make sure they can get us through this properly. While at an individual level, I'm making sure to take care of my friends and my family. We have a greater community to protect. And that's why I'm going to be relying on the people who are in office to do the right thing. To all the people that want to screech and point fingers and and bicker and and whine, I will have nothing but disdain and criticism for you. Now is the time to say the disaster is real. I'll see you all in the next segment at 1 p.m. Stay calm. Thanks for hanging out. And one of the most shocking developments I've seen yet dealing with the global pandemic, we have this story from the Daily Mail. French border guards impound trucks filled with with 130,000 face masks bound for Britain for NHS workers battling coronavirus. Apparently, they had done something similar with hand sanitizer. And this says to me that the European Union is nothing but name only. Now, I know Britain was, they're out. They, they, they did Brexit. But they're still in a transitionary period. I am shocked to see this story. Now, some people are, are, are pushing back. People in France I'm seeing on the internet are claiming, no, no, the masks were actually stolen. I don't buy it. I can't tell you exactly what. I've looked up a couple different outlets. They reported something similar. Masks were leaving France, headed for the UK because the, the, the hospitals need them. But Emmanuel Macron said they are requisitioning all medical supplies, masks particularly, for their, their hospitals. They need it more. The European Union, it's supposed to be this grand unifying entity. It's a union. 
to combat external threats. There's an area called the Schengen zone where you're allowed to freely travel about. You don't need a passport. You can just drive through kind of like if you were to drive from New York to, I don't know, Connecticut, you just all of a sudden you see a sign saying, welcome to Connecticut. That's what the European Union was supposed to be. But since the global pandemic, we've seen this completely fall apart, or maybe it was never there in the first place. Germany shut its borders down. That would be kind of like, I know, I know it's not the same. I've mentioned this before, but imagine you're in, you know, Illinois and they shut down all roads out of Illinois and you couldn't leave. That's what it kind of feels like. Now with this latest story, things are getting really scary. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you if you, we're going to read this story and I'm going to, I just want to tell you, I am not here to tell you what you want to hear. I am not going to try and pony up to the people who are saying that I'm, you know, I'm fear mongering, Tim, you better calm down. Okay. No, I won't talk about it anymore. Now, sorry. And I'm not going to do the opposite. I'm not going to needlessly throw up stories that are shocking and terrifying. Although I may have put up many stories that are shocking and terrifying, I will just let you know it's because I'm really concerned about this. I'm telling you exactly what I'm reading, how I, how I feel. I have no scripts. There's nothing. I just have the stories. I'm literally just saying how I feel on the internet. And I could be wrong. I feel like some of these things may be a little shocking, maybe over the top. I don't know. All I know is these stories kind of freak me out. I'm going to read it for you. They say French border guards impounded trucks filled with 130,000 face masks bound for the UK, leading to hurried negotiations between the British and French governments. The masks were meant to brave NHS, uh, meant for brave NHS workers battling coronavirus across the country. After realizing what was on board, border guards in France held the truck in the wake of President Emmanuel Macron's promise to requisition face masks for the French crisis, reported The Sun. This came just a day after another truck bound for the UK, this time stocked with hand sanitizer, was delayed by authorities on the other side of the channel. Officials in the UK were swiftly made aware of both incidents. A government source told The Sun on Tuesday night, French authorities stopped the hand sanitizer and confiscated the lot. On Wednesday night, it was lorries full of FFP3 face masks to protect staff. However, another source told, told the newspapers both incidents were dealt with relatively quickly. There is a clear understanding between countries that only a united approach will tackle the public health emergency all countries face. They go on to give some stats and say, it appears to have been a misunderstanding. We're confident it won't happen again. On March 3rd, President Macron posted on Twitter that the French authorities would requisition all stocks in the production of masks. Brexiteer Ian Duncan Smith, the former conservative leader, told the Sun, uh, told the Sun, this shows you all you need to know about European cooperation. Europe is in lockdown and each nation has been left to their own devices. I have heard and I think maybe they're trying to claim that these supplies were released and that may be the case. So uh, I have another source from the Sun we can go through, but a lot of people are saying that the story's wrong. The confusion is what's worrying me. Perhaps it really is that the masks were released, but we do have a tweet from Manuel Macron. He says, yeah, requisition. We commandeer all stocks and the production of protective masks. We will distribute them to health professionals and French people with coronavirus. I'm not surprised if that's the case. Why would they say you can have the masks in our country? Now, the questions I have. Where did the masks come from? Were they made in France? Were they shipping through France? What would be worrying to me is, let's say that they were made in, I don't know, Ukraine, and someone was driving them through France and France stopped them and said, nope, you're here. It's ours now. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. And I can tell you that some people are saying they were released. They're going to be released. It was a mistake. 
The Daily Mail didn't report that. The story I have here from yesterday, mask raiders, French border guards seized two lorries carrying $130,000 coronavirus face masks for Hero NHS medics. The cargo was being urgently ferried in a major boost for overstretched UK medics. We can see there's, fo- fo- there's, there's photographs of it. But French border guards impounded the trucks. The seizure came just 24 hours after another British bound vehicle was seized. A government source said, there you go, it happened. And I don't really see any other updates. Both incidents were dealt with relatively quickly. It appears to have been a misunderstanding. So does that mean that they've released it? I honestly don't know. Europe is in lockdown and each nation has been left to their own devices. So much for the European Union, right? Paracetamol exports from Britain have been banned as ministers move to protect vital stocks. Officials have halted firms from shipping 82 key drugs abroad, including adrenaline, insulin, and common painkillers. Health Minister Lord Bethel said, NHS staff are going above and beyond to provide world-class care to patients, and we are supporting them in every way we can. So sounds to me, maybe there's more developments. I did a bunch of searches to figure out what was going on. This is the story where it stands as far as I could tell. But even the UK is not going to be giving up their supplies. It looks like everyone is basically saying, we're in trouble and we are not going to extend our neck out for you. The United States has closed its northern border, its southern border, and it stands to reason you will see this escalate. The latest updates for those that have missed my, my earlier segment video, maybe you didn't see it, is that the Army Corps of Engineers is going to be deployed to, uh, to New York. Donald Trump has declared it. It was FEMA and then Trump approved the, dec- the declaration of New York a major disaster area. I want to show you a thread and some optimistic posts. And we'll, 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 we'll talk about the merits of them. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to only show you the negative or only the positive. I want to have a real conversation about this, but I want to, I want to make one very, very clear point that for those that may have missed my earlier segment, Italy reported about 26 deaths per hour yesterday at 627 deaths in a single day. The flu has a mortality rate of about four deaths per hour based on estimates from the CDC in the low end, potentially eight or nine deaths per hour in the high end. So the coronavirus is exponentially getting worse. Maybe because it's so bad, it'll slow down, but we are taking very dramatic measures. Maybe we will stop this before it gets that bad. That being said, I want to show you this, this thread that's been getting shared around by a lot of people. Evidence over hysteria COVID-19. And this takes a rather positive approach. And I'll show you a few things that could be good news because data could be misinterpreted. So I'm then going to show you why uh, from from another uh, uh, personality, why this may be misguided. So again, I don't want to just send you all this negative information. I don't want to send you, you know, candy canes and, and rainbows. There are a lot of people saying, ignore it. It's fine. The flu is worse. There are a lot of people screaming the end is nigh. I think this is going to get bad. So let me just say, as we, as we start looking at the, the breakdown of data in January, I felt like this would reach us and we needed supplies. About a few weeks later, after I said, hey, make sure you have emergency supplies, because guess what? Sometimes it rains, sometimes it floods, sometimes there's tornadoes. Sure enough, we started seeing raids on stores and I called it. I don't think I'm always right. I really don't. But I do think that I have been at least right enough over the past several weeks to think that I'm still likely correct, you know, now. I was skeptical at first. Now we're seeing the army being called in, and I do think things are going to, work, going to get worse. There are people calling for a national lockdown, but the DHS is saying that won't happen. I guess in that regard, we'll see. I can't really predict. What I can say is, I think we are going to see massive, the, the economic crisis is, it's bad. It is real bad. And we are going to see dramatic, and potentially, I'm not an economist, but bad inflation, 
We're going to see hospitals being overloaded. And the stories from doctors about seeing these coronavirus patients, coronavirus patients are scary. So I want to show you this. In the Medium post, he says, essentially, these charts don't really tell you anything. They're vanity metrics. You know, people are looking at these and they're thinking it's terrifying. And of course, it, rel- relativity is important, right? You'll see this massive spike. But if we scaled down the numbers or, or I'd say scaled up the numbers, then you would see this hockey stick become very, very small. So it's all about how they frame this. Take a look at this. We can see this, these red bubbles all over the world. For those that are listening, I'll explain. It's a map of the world with red dots all over it, explaining where the cases are. The size of the red dot is arbitrary. You could shrink it down to the size of a small city and it would look like there was nothing. So these are vanity metrics you need to be careful of because they can be misleading. He says, here are new cases time lapsed by country and date of first 100 total cases. We can see that the US is growing faster than many other countries. Spain is growing faster than uh, than we are. And that's in terms of how many people are infected. We can see here another chart showing that the US is tracking to grow very, very quickly. But he does something interesting. On a per capita basis, we shouldn't be panicking. Every country has a different population size, which skews aggregate and cumulative case comparisons. By controlling for population, you can properly weigh the number of cases in context of local population size. Viruses don't acknowledge our human borders. The U.S. population is five and a half times greater than Italy, six times larger than South Korea, and 25% the size of China. What he's basically saying, and he's making an excellent point here. When we look at these graphs comparing the U.S. to other countries, seeing the amount of cases growing, it's not taking into consideration that we got a ton of people. So if you compare the U.S. to Europe as a whole, things might make more sense. But Europe, I believe, still has like Europe as a whole has double the population, maybe just the EU. It's really hard to do it that way. The best thing you can do, and he points this out, per capita. So per 100, I'm sorry, per 1 million people, the U.S. has 59 cases per 1 million. And we're a little bit worse than China, Italy, more than 10 times that. So I'm not saying, look, I want to make sure this is really clear. By, by all means, you know, you should be, you should be uh, taking care of yourself. You should, be, you should be calm, prepared, rational. People are panicking right now and it's causing a serious problem. And other people are ignoring it. These two extremes are really, really bad. You should just, you know, calm strategy, prepare the way you need to. But this is, this, is, this is good data, right? The total number of cases in the USA is 19,658. But there are still some problems with this method. When we look at the total cases and compare them per capita, what he's not showing you is the time difference. The USA has been seeing an, uh, the increase de- delayed relative to Europe because it was in Europe first. In the next couple of weeks, we could see the spike hit us. And then per capita, we could be worse off. So while this is good data for the total numbers, it's not, it's not perfect. He says that it's spreading, but probably not accelerating. And that, I got to be honest, doesn't mean a whole lot to me. We are doing draconian, we're, we're taking draconian measures to slow this thing down. France just seized masks, all right? Yes, it likely won't accelerate. It will start, we'll start bending the curve down. That's the point. You've got the major spike and you want it to start flattening out and then you want it to even out over time. We're taking dramatic actions. That's why it's probably not accelerating. So here's what I'm going to do. This is a very, very, let, let, me, let me show you the, the, the bullet points because I really don't have time to read the whole post from him. But he says, it's likely to burn off. Children and teens aren't at risk. Strong but unknown viral effect. What about asymptomatic spread? 93% of people who think they are positive aren't. This is a big one. 
Tons of people are hypochondriacs thinking they've got it. I can't tell you how many people have said, I swear I had it, man. I know. It's like, dude, just stop. You don't know. There's no point pretending like you did. And the people who are calling up freaking out because they got sick during flu season is frustrating. The issue is that if, if you have specific symptoms, then a test may, is necessary. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, they can't get tests. Look, it, it, is a, it is a tough situation right now. But I believe he's wrong on a few of these. Declining fatality rate is good. 1% of cases will be severe, but 19 to 23% are being hospitalized. In New York, Cuomo said 23% are being hospitalized. That's why they're setting up emergency, emergency hospitals, field hospitals. Start with basic hygiene, more data, open schools, open public spaces, support business and productivity. People fear what the government will do, not infection. Expand medical capacity. Don't let them forget it and vote. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump over to Will Chamberlain. You may be familiar with him. He runs humanevents.com. He's a good dude. You should follow him on Twitter. And it's not Wilt. It's Will Chamberlain. People always say that. But he said a lot of people are sharing, sharing out this piece by Agent on COVID-19 that I think is profoundly misguided. It combines a pile of statistics with a very poor policy argument that I'll rebut here in a thread. The beginning of the argument, let's start his analogy about the first rule of medicine being do no harm. This is an asinine analogy. Every policy has trade-offs and causes harm to someone. In a pandemic, the first rule is to survive, avoid risk of ruin. Ginn complains that local governments and politicians are inflicting massive harm and disruption with little evidence to support their draconian edicts. The problem? You don't wait for your house to burn down before you buy homeowner's insurance. This is a point I've been making to everybody who says, but there's so many more flu deaths. The issue is the mortality rate. The, the, <laughs> you know what, man? The first time I covered this, I was like, we got nothing to worry about. Now, if the coronavirus ends up with like an extended incubation period and it's airborne, then we've got something to be concerned about. And then sure enough, the tests came out where they're like, two-week incubation period, maybe even a month in some rare cases, and it's airborne. And I was like, oh man, because it travels undetected for weeks. That's why it's spreading. So what we're doing now is saying, if we get out in front of it, we shut it down. If we wait until it gets bad, then it'll get out of control and we don't want to be two steps behind it. It is an invisible threat. Like the president said, we are facing an invisible threat and he's right, which means we don't know where it's lurking. So we need to cover all our bases. I agree with Will on this one. We want to be buying the insurance before the the fire starts. Will says, our knowledge about the contagiousness and severity of COVID-19 is limited at the stage. We have have some stats and can make guesses as to the possible range. We don't know. What we know is that it can cause absolutely unacceptable outcomes, ruin. The demand for better evidence before acting gets it completely backwards. If you are in a position of uncertainty with some risk of ruin, you take precautions until you get better evidence. If there's uncertainty about your pilot skill, do you get off the plane? Next, Gin talks about basic hygiene. All well and good until he talks about how masks don't work because people touch their face. That misses the point. Masks are less about protecting yourself and more about making sure you don't transmit the disease to others. And I've, I've brought that point up too. One of the reasons doctors wear masks is because when they're treating people, they don't want to get them sick with anything they might have, especially what you see in the operating room. But also, Masks work best in combination with other protective gear. Also, we want the masks to be going to medical medical professionals who have a very high risk of exposure because they're our front line. The doctors and nurses and other medical technicians that are working in hospitals right now and the people delivering their supplies are on the front line. If they start getting sick, then this grows out of control. 
Next, Ginn talks about the value of more data. Better testing will allow us to go back to work, confident that we can avoid risk of ruin. But again, he is too aggressive. We shouldn't open public life just to have more data. Remember the first rule, avoid risk of ruin. Next, he opposes closing schools. First, he says it's expensive. That's something to care about when, when the risk of ruin is mitigated. Second, he talks about the reduction in medical personnel, which is relevant. We do need to make sure medical personnel can get childcare. Here's where the arguments get really asinine. One, evidence is really limited at this point. We don't know just how likely children are to get infected in various places. Two, even if children are more likely to get infected at home, reducing possible transmission events is good. And I will point out this guy's arguing that, you know, children and teens are a low risk. That's actually partially true. Younger people, and I don't, I don't want to say children or teens, younger people are being hospitalized at a higher rate than other age groups, not teenagers. So this, these are people uh, above 20. Just keep that in mind. We don't need schools as a single point of testing. We can do drive through testing like in South Korea that doesn't require mass gatherings of students. Discounts uh, for discounts that it's not just students at school, but teachers and parents as well. Here's where Gin's naive empiricism is just appalling. Shuttering the local economy is not a distraction. There is, certain, cer- uh, there is certainly not overwhelming data that community-based spread is not a threat. Italy's ICUs are overwhelmed. We don't have specific examples of it spreading through restaurants and gyms. Well, we're pretty confident that the virus lives on surfaces, and there sure are a lot of surfaces in those places. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And also, I've I've advised my friends not to go to the gym. They mostly shut them down. But you got to understand that people are covered in sweat. They're breathing heavily, and that's what transmits the virus, the the breathing, the particles from your spit and your lungs. So yeah, gym, not a good idea. Isolating every family member in their home is, is a perfect situation for infection transmission among family members. This is just a ridiculous argument. The point is reducing spread between families. China wouldn't have beat the bug by this logic. Well, I don't even know if China did well, to be honest. Evidence from South Korea, Singapore shows you can continue on with life. He says, uh, Will adds, South Korea and Singapore have one, tons of masks and two, tons of testing. Mask wearing prevents spread. Testing means infected individuals get quarantined. We don't have either yet. He goes on to say, my word, my word, the statistical naivety. Quote, the data shows that the overwhelming majority of working people will not be personally impacted. Way too early to be making definitive statements like that. Oh, and yes, quote, we do need money for this fight. Money printer go burr. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're, they're printing money like crazy. So I don't, I don't want to read through. It's a very, very long thread. Very, very long thread. I'll just read uh, Will's finale. He said, oh, actually, that's not even, that's not even the end. Will's going, going all out on this one. In sum, the article is just profoundly unsophisticated when it comes to risk. This kind of thinking led to the housing crisis, discounts, the risk of terror, ignores fat tails. If there is uncertainty and near and near term risk of ruin, take precautions. So I know there's probably a lot of context I didn't get through for both of these uh, stories. But I, w- what I want to say in summation to these things right now, there are a lot of people throwing around numbers, acting like this proves something or something else myself included, like when I see the death stats and I try my best to break them down to inform you of what's going on so that you can be better informed. I will err on the side of caution. I always do. It's like a sto- I-, I told the story in the other video, the-, the earlier segment. I wore a bulletproof vest when I went to Ferguson, got shot a couple times. So that's why I err on the side of precaution. Better safe than sorry. But there, there are certain things you have to take risks on. So when I went and covered a conflict zone, I know I have to go into a dangerous place, but I'll do what I can to protect myself. That means there are some things we must do that will put us at risk. And there are some things we must do to mitigate that risk. 
while I appreciate people trying to remain optimistic, this thread is going around saying it's a really great read and it's intelligent analysis and people should you know, take this seriously and calm down and all that stuff. But to me, it just sounds like a more sophisticated version of it's just the flu, bro. There's too much we don't know. What we do know is that Italy in one day had 627 dead people and had to bring in the military to move the corpses. That sounds freaky. And to me, it is. That literally happened. It, it, it's, it's in the news. The Italian military came in because the morgues were overloaded and the bodies had to be carried out. You can say whatever you want about analysis. You can say whatever you want about the numbers, the stats, the jobs, the economy. I get it, man. I'm listening. Now, now I want to ask you a question. When it comes to 26 deaths per hour, which well exceeds the flu, and yes, maybe it's a lot of old people, should we, what should we do? Serious question. Right now, we're taking a ton of harsh and draconian measures to me that, that are shocking, and I'm not a fan of them. But I don't know what else to do, man. So don't, I look, this is why I would never consider, you know, I, I don't know why anybody would want to be in public office. That's just nightmarish. To be that person to, to, to pull the trigger on what you should or shouldn't do amidst all these people screaming about what is or isn't more important. The economic, the economic toll we are facing could actually end up being worse than this disease. I don't know. What I do know is that with people, people don't have resources or money or access to supplies, they die too. So there's good arguments as to why we need to figure out how to make, make sure that the economy keeps moving. Because if we lose confidence in the system and we lose access to resources, people will freak out. There's also good evidence to show that if we don't get a handle on this, it's a novel virus we could be facing on par with 1918. If you don't believe me, read what Stan- read the thing I, po- I was talking about from Stanford. It was a novel virus with a mortality rate of 2.5%. Well, globally, we're looking at 3.4. Italy is 7%. In the US, I believe it's just over 1%. So it could be not as bad. But it could also be not as bad because we're taking serious precautions and we have better technology. So I'll leave it there. The last thing you should do is freak out. The people running around buying toilet paper like crazy are nuts. And the people who are doing nothing are nuts. But the people who are paying attention, staying calm, you know, make, making sure they have basic levels of supplies and not hoarding, then you're doing, you're, you're doing well. And that's the best I can offer up right now. Next segment will be coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. It's a different channel. And I will see you all there. Rachel Maddow and other members of the media have beclowned themselves amidst the coronavirus pandemic because their whole shtick has become so completely transparent. Now, I must stop and say I absolutely love the word beclowned. I looked it up. It's an archaic word. And yes, it means to make oneself a clown or to make into a clown. The shtick that these people have had from the get go is that no matter what Trump does, it must be bad. Don Lemon was screeching that Trump gave us information that was inaccurate. How can we function this way? And it's like, what do you dude? Presidents always tell us stuff. And we always have a press corps that then asks follow up questions. They're literally doing it every day now in the press briefing. And of course, now, because Trump has been optimistic and talked about things that are factually true, it must be wrong. Now, the reason I say they're beclowning themselves is because the American people are supporting the president. So who are you catering to? The minority, the people who aren't paying attention? Or are you creating the group of people that are angry right now? I'll put it this way. You may notice my shtick. I'm often criticizing the media when they do things that are dumb. It's very apparent. We all kind of do our things. But I got no problem saying over and over again that there are really good journalists who do a lot of work and I follow a lot of these same outlets. But some things are just so apparent. 
The majority of Americans right now, 55% according to ABC, support the president's action. We have the morning consult poll. We have the Harris poll. They're all showing the same thing. Most Americans support the president's actions. I have to wonder then if the reason we are seeing 43 or so percent of people disapprove of Trump's action, maybe it's because of people like Rachel Maddow, who must always pretend that literally everything Trump does must be bad. Here's what here's the Daily Mail. Rachel Maddow demands that that networks stop airing Trump's press conferences about coronavirus crisis and blasts his fairy tale promises about malaria drug to combat the pandemic. Oh, heavens, Rachel Maddow. It's the end, they say. Trump is that bad. Is, is he really that bad? Let me give you a dose of reality before we read her, her uh, read into her nonsense. Donald Trump mentioned hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. That's an anti-malarial drug and an antibiotic. When taken together, according to a French study, they're, they're seeing promising results from a small sample size. Now, Dr. Fauci says there's not enough evidence to say this is actually an effective treatment. So Trump is a bit Oh, he's, he's, he's a bit optimistic, to say the least. So let's let's break it down in a fair way. Trump is saying we have we have hope. This may work. We're, we're trying to get it through the FDA. Let's make it happen. We know these drugs are already on the market. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is uh, it's generic, so it's really easy to make. Or there's a generic version. Azithromycin is a common antibiotic. What we need now is for the FDA to approve it specifically for use in COVID-19 cases. Dr. Fauci pushed back on that. It's really that simple. It's not the end of the world. Trump's right. The study exists. He's excited about it. What should we do? Screech and say the end is nine. There's no hope. Well, what Rachel Maddow does, because the only thing she can do is criticize the president, is very obvious. MSNBC host Rachel Maddow has demanded that networks stop airing White House updates about the coronavirus pandemic, excoriating President Donald Trump for making optimistic promises about an unproven drug to treat the infection. I know we ought to be getting used to this kind of thing by now, but I'm not. Maddow said on her show Friday night, President Donald Trump today, again, just flat out wrong in public about his malaria drug that has gotten stuck in his mind quite some distance from the facts. Maddow was referring to Trump's sweeping claims about a malaria drug called hydroxychloroquine, which is being investigated as a potential treatment for coronavirus patients. While Trump has boasted that the drug is very powerful and could be a game changer, the government's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, made clear on Friday that there is not enough evidence yet to show that it is effective, but it's promising. I mean, I don't know what people are freaking out about. I don't get it. There's nothing here. This is completely irrelevant. You may have seen something quite funny Donald Trump did. At the podium during a press conference, he said the State Department, or as some people like to say, the Deep State Department, he made a joke. Man, can't you have any levity? Dr. Fauci puts his hand to his forehead and depending on which tribe you're in, he either face palmed or he tried to cover up a laugh. The Trump supporters thought it was hilarious. Trump made a joke and Fauci was trying to cover up that he was laughing. The left is saying Fauci was face palming and he was like, I can't believe the president did this. These people live in different realities. Now, look, I think Trump made a joke. I don't know what Fauci's reaction is and I don't care. None of this matters. Donald Trump is not wrong about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. But of course, that's the point of this segment. Maddow says if Trump is going to keep lying like this, he has like he has been every day on stuff this important, we should, all of us, stop broadcasting. Honestly, it's going to cost lives. You ever stop and wonder why it is that they only say negative things? Like, can that be possible? I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? If you take a coin and you flip it, you know, it's going to randomly come up half on one side, half on the other. It's a 50-50 chance. You'd think if they were being fair and honest, 
They'd, they could still be critical, but at least still be praising him to a certain degree. Well, of course, Rachel Maddow doesn't do that. To be fair, I, I think I can point to myself and say I've been extremely critical of the Democrats every step of the, Democrats almost every step of the way. So, you know, may, maybe I'm being a bit biased myself. But I do think it's fair to point out I actively try to give credit where credit is due across the board. I've also been cr- critical of the president. I think it just so happens that my opinions fall in this typical space, that Trump is not that bad. There's some things I don't like, but he's typically doing a good job on, on domestic policy issues, notably the economy and now the crisis, the, the, the pandemic. And the Democrats tend to do things that just aren't working out well for them. And that's apparent in the polls. Like if I was wrong, Trump's approval rating should be falling into the gutter, but it's going up. The aggregate approval rating just in general has gone down a little bit, but it's still higher than it's been in a long time. It's averaging higher than the rest of his presidency. And it's underwater a bit. However, when it comes to the coronavirus, Trump's approval rating is above 55% because he's winning over Democrats. Forgive me if you've heard me say it a million times, but I think it's relevant to this, this conversation. Rachel Maddow and now the Washington Post. The Washington Post put out this editorial board story saying, we face a wartime supply shortage. Where is Trump's wartime response? What do you mean? He invoked the Defense Production Act. Calm down. It's like it's been a day, man. But this is the media's game. The Washington Post and particularly Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow for years. Oh, it is so infuriating. Screeched Russia at the top of her lungs with insane, paranoid, delusional conspiracy nonsense. I was proven wrong. And here she is today without, without skipping a beat. The orange man is bad. <laughs> the orange man is bad again. No matter what the orange man bad, the orange man does, it will always be bad. Okay, you know what, man? I just, I get it. She has beclowned herself one too many times. That's the only thing she can say. What, I, don't, I don't know what you would expect from a media that's built upon this narrative. When you come to the internet, you'll typically find a lot of people saying, you know, they're, they're biased things. You're going to find personalities that are on the right or on the left. Someone like me who is policy-wise a little bit center-left, but typically criticism-wise, very critical of the Democrats for a lot of different reasons. But I have no problems. I've said it over and over again. Donald Trump's response early on in the coronavirus was, was weak, and I'm very critical of it. I said more distasteful things, I guess, a couple weeks ago. And I've also been critical of a lot of the Trump supporters that have been downplaying this. I just don't care. I'm going to say what needs to be said. So why is this so difficult? I guess it's because Rachel Maddow runs a business and she doesn't actually care. She's playing a character, right? She's essentially Stephen Colbert. But the only problem is that people don't realize it's an act. Now, look, I get it. She's, she would come out and be like, it's not an act. I mean, this literally, these are my opinions, blah, blah, blah. Okay, dude, look, I'm just going to say, I find it very strange if somebody would support or oppose someone literally no matter what they do. Like when Trump gave a statement saying that travel from Europe was being suspended. They said, oh, he's inciting panic. The orange man is bad. And now that Dr. Fauci is saying it, they just shut up. Okay. Well, I'll defend myself a little bit. I praised Elizabeth Warren when she called out big tech. I praised AOC when she called out, when she called out big tech. I praised AOC when she called for ending, you know, this lobbying, this, this revolving door lobbying stuff. I tend to be opposed to people who say dumb things. I've criticized the president over and over again, and I've even got some of it wrong. And I've had a lot of Trump supporters call me out. Like I I was very critical of Trump when he did the thing with his arm, making fun of the reporter. And then people started getting mad at me because it turns out I was wrong about that. So I try to, I try to, you know, base my opinions off of various media outlets and figure out what's going on. But, you know, I shouldn't even make make it about myself. I think it's just really hard to function right now when we're dealing with a legitimate crisis and we have a media that just will say literally the same thing, no matter what it's predictable. How much do you want to bet 
tomorrow night, Rachel Maddow will go on the air and she will say, Trump did this. This is bad. Like, like Don Lemon did. They say, uh, I don't know if I actually care to read the rest of uh, the, the article. We have uh, uh, this story from the, Wa- the Washington Post's let me read you their conclusion. They say President Trump suggested in a news conference this week, the shortages are a problem for the governors to deal with. The federal government's not supposed to be out there buying vast amounts of items and, sh- and then shipping. You know, we're not a shipping clerk. Then on Friday, he said the government has ordered the production of millions of masks and that these would be delivered directly to states. He offered contradictory statements about the Defense Production Act. We know what it is. First asserting he had invoked its authority and then saying he had not used it because companies had responded voluntarily. It's not contradictory, man. Trump invoked the act. Okay, he's saying I am asserting my right to use this. And then he went to the factories and looked and they said they're all doing it. Okay, great. I don't need to actually assert authority under the act. How is that so hard to understand? I'm, I'm sick and tired of all of this. You know, the, it, it's been a really trying time in this industry right now and for everybody. I understand everyone's dealing with these, these the harsh impacts, but this is the last thing we need. Look, every single video I do about coronavirus on this channel is, well, I shouldn't say everything. It's like 95% demonetized, no income. And it's really, really frightening. But guess what? I'm going to keep talking about it because it's the news. YouTube is actively choosing to shut my business down. I could pull a Rachel Maddow and just say, how about I talk about something else to make some money? But I don't want to do that. I want to talk about what I think is important. And that means I lose income because of it. It's seriously been bad. I posted on Twitter. Go look at my Twitter. It's just a wall of YouTube saying we've confirmed you cannot monetize any of this content. And I'll keep talking about it. And if it comes to the point where YouTube says they're going to ban me outright because they don't want anyone talking about it, so be it. I'm not here to play games or just chase the numbers like Maddow or the Washington Post is. Whatever. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. I'll see you all shortly. I'm going to say it again for the 50 billionth time. A lot of people are concerned about fear mongering and panic inducing. And I will just stress, do not panic and stay calm. A rational mind is a successful mind. Chance favors the prepared. These are things you need to understand. We're dealing with a serious global crisis and there are a lot of things to be scared of, but you need to sit down, calm down, clear your mind and make sure you don't end up in one of these horrible situations where people panic and then run in to grab toilet paper. Don't be one of those people and also don't ignore it. But I'm now going to show you some things that are really shocking and alarming. I'm showing them to you because I think it's very important you know what's happening. I do not want anyone to panic or to be scared. I want you to be vigilant and alert, but calm. Horrifying moment. Man gasps and collapses in New York subway, sparking panic amid coronavirus outbreak. Video footage shows when a man collapses on a subway train running on the R line of New York City and is treated by first responders. The man gasped real loud before he fell to the floor on the train, say witness Richard Prado. It was not known if the man had collapsed because he was infected with the coronavirus, which has panicked New Yorkers who are required to stay home. We don't know if this is the coronavirus. I have another story. We also don't know what it is, but I'm going to defer to Occam's razor. The simple solution tends to be the correct one. We've seen videos emerge from China, from Iran, from many other places, even New York, where people have collapsed. Now, when it comes to China and Iran, these were people at the hospital amid the coronavirus outbreak. So naturally, people are assuming it is the coronavirus. But I'm going to be fair. It could just be that we're focusing on this. We're dealing with a respiratory illness. So when we see people pass out, we say that must be coronavirus. It might not be. People could pass out for a lot of reasons. But I think the simple solution, a novel virus, a global pandemic, it infects the respiratory system, which could lead to passing out. And I think that tends to be likely 
at least. But keep a little bit of skepticism. We don't know what this could be. And it's important not to freak out and run in the wrong direction. We can see these photos of a man on a train collapsed. He gasped. And just like many of the other videos we've seen amid the coronavirus outbreak, this is someone who fell to the ground seemingly out of nowhere. That's the story. But I have a more in-depth story that I think should be read. This is a story from, uh, this is the uh, NOLA.com. This is the local uh, news outlet for New Orleans. This 39-year-old New Orleans woman tested for coronavirus. She died before getting her results. They say that her results were delayed. Five days later, she was dead in her kitchen. Again, we don't know if this is the coronavirus. It could be that she had a brain aneurysm and died. These things happen. But she told her friend that she was feeling sick, that she felt like she had something in her lungs. And he was talking with her like normal. I believe it was her, her boyfriend. And he went to check on her and he says that she was, she was dead. We don't know if this is the coronavirus. But again, I defer to the simple solution, Occam's Razor. Let me read for you this story so we can get a general idea of what's causing people to kind of freak out. NOLA reports on March 10th, Natasha Ott, 39, felt the beginnings of a cold coming on. She had a slight fever. Crescent Care, her employer, had only a handful of tests for the new coronavirus on hand. She initially passed on the chance to take one after being told she was low risk for the serious disease. When her symptoms didn't shake, she did take the test on Monday. By Thursday, she felt, quote, something in her lungs. She told longtime partner Josh Anderson, but she still felt well enough by then to join Anderson as the pair walked her dog. On Friday, after, on Friday, Anderson found Ott dead in her kitchen. Her test results have still not come back. Anderson, 40, said what happened to his former girlfriend should be a wake-up call for anyone who still believes COVID-19 isn't as deadly as experts have claimed. Speaking in an interview Saturday, after his social media post recounting Ott's experience was shared hundreds of times, he said the dearth of tests shows how ill-equipped New Orleans is to handle a pandemic that is already claimed that has already claimed 16 lives and infected nearly 600 people across the state. She could have gotten a test last Friday, but they only had five tests and she didn't want to use one of them. Uh, that's what Anderson said. Not less than a week ago, he was one of those who believed younger, relatively healthy people like Ott and himself would be fine amid the outbreak. Now, I must, must, must clarify. We don't know yet if this was the coronavirus. However, I'm going to go ahead and pick Occam's razor. Now, it could just be this man, Josh Anderson, is giving you his anecdotal account of what really happened. And he may be putting emphasis on things because he's seeing it in the news. Maybe she had a heart attack. I don't think it's likely. She's 39. It's, it's probably the coronavirus, but we really don't know. But I want to read, you this, read this anyway, and I want to make sure we're, we're, we're being calm and reasonable. He said, I believe that people should, uh, sh- uh, should stay home, but I don't think I fully understood what the consequences would, could be if they didn't. Noel Twilbeck, the CEO of Crescent Care, confirmed on Saturday that Ott was a former employee and that she had died, but declined to say anything more, citing respect for the family. And that's the story. The reason I, th- I think this is significant is that one of the things we've been hearing often is that people are slammed by this in a short amount of time, that they feel a little sick, they're walking around, and then all of a sudden they're out. They just can't breathe and they collapse. And a story like this lines up like the story of the man in the subway who gasped and then fell down. This is why it's so important we take this seriously, because I fielded so many questions from people saying, why is this, you know, the flu is so much worse, so many more people are dying. The infection rate, the incubation period, the complication rate, the sudden onset. These are things that we can't, we, or, or that are much more drastic than the flu. But let me give you some hard numbers. 
Italy records 793 coronavirus deaths in one day. That's what, almost 40 per hour, a little bit less. Their last announcement yesterday was seven was 627. That's 26 per hour. The flu averages between four and maybe eight per hour. That's according to the CDC. In the United States, around the world, the numbers are higher. Consider this. A lot of people keep saying that, you know, the flu around the world has done this or that. But there are a lot of countries that don't have the same medical technology we do. To see these kinds of death in Italy is rather staggering. ITV says Italy has recorded 793 new deaths from coronavirus in one day. Despite extensive measures to prevent the disease from spreading, Italy remains the worst affected country in Europe. More than 60% of the latest deaths occurred in the northern region of Lombardy, whose hospitals have been reeling under a staggering caseload that has left intensive care beds hard to find respirators in dire supply. We're not testing as much in the US. We've recently done really, really uh, a large portion of testing. So we can likely see the numbers in the US spike dramatically. But you should be operating under the assumption that the numbers are already very, very high. Now, they've said that around 80% of individuals have mild symptoms. And that's true. Around 20% have been hospitalized. Of the closed cases, 10% have died. Of actual infections to death, it's between 1% and 3.4%. Around the world, it's a little bit higher. Now, take a look at this story. We're now getting numbers from Iran. Coronavirus kills a person in Iran every 10 minutes. Tehran finally voices horrifying extent of crisis as death toll hits 1,433. Remember what I said? Four to eight people per hour will die of the flu. In Italy, it's way higher. It's in the high 30s. And now we're seeing that in Iran, it's about six. So it is a bit higher than the flu. It's hard to know exactly what to do. It's hard to know what the right answer is. And one thing brought up by my buddy Adam in the podcast that he found interesting was that if it does predominantly affect older people, it's no surprise that governments are reacting this way because governments tend to be run by older people. So naturally, they're taking this much more seriously than young people. The reason I mention this is that this woman was 39. And as we don't, we, and again, we don't know if it was the coronavirus. Her, the, the, the story from this man, Josh, he posted on Facebook was, well, it feels like it may have been. He says that on Tuesday, March 10th, she wrote to tell me that she was feeling a bit sick, like a respiratory cold. She wrote on March 11th, I tried to go to uh, Oxner today to get a flu test, and they told me it would be a week before I could see my primary care physician. I ended up getting it at work. We only have five tests, so she didn't want to take it because she thought someone else should take it. On March 13th, she said, hey, they don't think I need to get tested unless I develop a fever. On the 15th, I'm not feeling so hot still. I may be testing testing at work tomorrow. I'm probably fine. I just tried to drink some medicinal whiskey and feel unwell. I'm okay. I love you. On March 16th, I asked her if I could bring her some pho. That's the Vietnamese soup. And she wrote, nothing. Thank you. I'm okay. I don't have an appetite. On the 17th, I asked how you feeling? And she replied, okay. Loss of appetite has been said uh, by some people to be one of the uh, potential symptoms that you lose your appetite before you actually start feeling sick. So on the 17th, he said, how are you feeling? And she replied, okay. On the 18th, I, uh, she wrote, I walked Zola and I'm worn out. I just want to drink whiskey. So one of the problems I might add is that she was drinking alcohol while she was sick. Yeah, not a good idea. Uh, so she sent me an article about a 25-year-old man that claimed whiskey cured his coronavirus. Yeah, I'm sorry, no excuses. It's, I, 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 I sympathize, I empathize with the woman's loss, but please, if you're sick, don't drink alcohol. 
She wrote, I don't want to be sick anymore. I just don't understand why I don't feel much better yet. On the 18th, she said, if you're offering dog walking services, I'd like to place a request. I'm curious if she was feeling worn out because her lung capacity was, was diminishing. Maybe she wasn't getting enough air. So on the 19th, she wrote, good morning. I love you. And he said, how, uh, he said, morning, sunshine, how you feeling? And then he said, he says, I very much wish I said, I love you back at 645. I texted with no reply. I called twice with no reply. I wrote, I'm getting nervous. Just called twice. Text or call me soon. If I don't hear from you within the hour, I'm coming over to check on you. I got to her house around eight. No one answered the door. I walked to the back of the house and noticed the rear door that opened into her fence yard was open. She left it open sometimes. So Zola could go in and out. That's her dog. I went in the back and found her dead in the kitchen. For those of you not fortunate enough to have known her, know this, it is an immeasurable loss. And seeing a woman I knew so full of life lying on the floor, lifeless was devastating. I was afraid to touch her. I held her anyway. Her coronavirus test results have still not come back. So I guess I'll leave it there. I'm reading the story. I don't know. I thought it was interesting and I wanted to talk about it. It's really all I can say. To everybody who, you know, I understand that as, you know, we learned from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. I want to make sure that the information you're getting is, is fact-based, is verified. And we don't know what this was. It could be a lot of anything. But when we see a lot of stories about people passing out, I just hope you all take this very seriously. And you know what? Maybe the flu does kill more people. It doesn't mean this isn't scary. I've got one more uh, segment coming up for you in a few minutes that I think is going to be really scary. And so um, I'm letting you know. Stick around. I'll come up soon. See you then. In what may be one of the most shocking developments yet in the coronavirus pandemic, the DOJ is seeking new emergency powers to indefinitely detain someone during an emergency. And I can understand why they'd want to do it. Many people are violating the shelter in place orders, and you're only being asked nicely to do it, but people don't care. A lot of people are hoarding. They're defying the recommendations from the government and the CDC, and they're putting all of us at risk. It kind of feels like when you were a little kid in school and the teacher punished everyone because one person was acting up, making everything bad for everyone else. I am absolutely willing to do what I must to protect myself, my friends, my family, to take the advice of those I trust in the government, those I trust. I don't trust the government as a whole, but I want to do the right thing. And that means limiting our exposure to big events, not going outside. And now in New Jersey, where I live, I am under a shelter in place order. They're saying, don't go out to big gatherings. You can walk around, you can go to the store, but keep it limited. We are being asked nicely by authorities to do the right thing. We are still able to go out and and essentially do whatever we want to do, except, you know, retail shops are going to be closing. Restaurants are closing their takeout only. And some of these are considered very, very unreasonable. Many people are concerned the government is now threatening businesses they have to shut down. I'm worried about this, and I'm also worried about the alternative. This now, what I'm seeing here from Politico, is possibly the scariest thing I have ever seen. And we're in an emergency. We're torn between wanting to do the right thing for our community and being told to blindly trust a government that would seek to violate our constitutional rights. Now, I I suppose during an emergency, they could suspend your constitutional rights. We've seen it happen in the past. That's worrying. We're faced with a real challenge. Do we just trust the government? I honestly would prefer not to. But we are facing a serious pandemic. We're seeing the videos. There's a bunch of other countries that are dealing with this. I don't think that all of the countries in the world are teaming up for some grand conspiracy, in which case I think we do have to take this seriously. But I also refuse and reject our government taking any actions like China had done. Let's read the story from Politico. 
The Justice Department has quietly asked Congress for the ability to ask chief judges to detain people indefinitely without trial during emergencies. Part of a push for new powers that comes as the coronavirus spreads through the United States. Documents reviewed by Politico detail the department's requests on to, to lawmakers on a host of topics, including the statute of limitations, asylum, and the way court hearings are conducted. Politico has uh, Politico also reviewed and previously reported on documents seeking the authority to extend deadlines on merger reviews and prosecutions. A Justice Department spokesperson declined to comment on both documents. The move has tapped into a broader fear among civil liberties advocates and Donald Trump's critics that the president will use a moment of crisis to push for controversial policy changes. I don't care if it's Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton. They do this. It's not unique to any one presidency. Already, he has said the pandemic as a reason for heightening border restrictions and restricting asylum claims. He has also pushed for further tax cuts as the economy withers, arguing that it would soften the financial blow to Americans. And even without policy changes, Trump has vast emergency powers that he could legally deploy right now to try and slow the coronavirus outbreak. Well, we know the Defense Production Act is important, and these powers have existed for a long time. We need the executive branch to act quickly and decisively. I am not and have never been a big supporter of Donald Trump, but even I have to admit desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it is a unique to Donald Trump thing, and I absolutely will criticize the expansion of executive authority. They don't need to play this game that it's civil liberties advocates and Donald Trump's critics. But fine, put me in the camp of civil liberties advocates, though I think that doesn't necessarily apply to the perspective Politico is pushing because we've seen the people who, who claim to advocate for civil, civil liberties and what they really are supporting. The DOJ requests, which are unlikely to make it through a Democratic-led House, span several stages of the legal process from initial arrest to, uh, to how cases are processed and investigated. In one of the documents, the department proposed that Congress grant the attorney general power to ask the chief judge of any district court to pause court proceedings whenever the district court is fully or partially closed by virtue of any natural disaster, civil disobedience, or, or other emergency situation. The proposal would also grant those top judges broad authority to pause court proceedings during emergencies. It would apply to any statutes or rules of procedure otherwise affecting pre-arrest, post-arrest, pre-trial, trial, and post-trial procedures in criminal and juvenile proceedings and all civil process and proceedings. According to draft legislative language, the department shared with Congress, in making the case for the change, the DOJ document wrote that individual judges can currently pause proceedings during emergencies, but that their proposal would make sure all judges in any particular district could handle emergencies in a consistent manner. The request raised eyebrows because of its potential implications for habeas corpus, the constitutional right to appear before a judge after arrest and seek release. Not only would it be a violation of that, but it says affecting pre-arrest, said Norman L. Raymer, the executive director of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. So that means you could be arrested and never brought before a judge until they decide that the emergency or the civil disobedience is over. I find it absolutely terrifying, especially in a time of emergency. We should be very careful about granting new powers to the government. Yes, yes, 100%. One of the benefits of the shrieking, nonsensical anger over Trump is a curtailing of federal, uh, of federal powers, but mo- mostly executive authority. While I think they certainly take it way too far, we have seen executive authority growing horrifyingly quickly 
over the past several presidencies. So there is still a net benefit to the shrieking from the Democrats who hate Trump in that we don't we want to make sure that executive authority remains curtailed, but it has been growing and it seems like it's not going to stop. This kind of stuff scares me. I don't care who the president is. You don't give the executive branch this power because it passes on to the next president. If you're someone who likes Trump, just imagine what would happen when the next Democratic president has this, this authority. And if you're a Democrat, you wouldn't want to give Trump the authority. I don't think anybody should have the authority. We, we, we have a constitution for a reason. It's why we are the greatest nation on the planet. And I certainly think so. Reimer said the possibility of chief chief judges suspending all court rules during an emergency without a clear end in sight was deeply disturbing. That is something that should not happen in a democracy. Well, we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic, but I get the point you're making. The department also asked Congress to pause the statute of limitations for criminal investigations and civil proceedings during national emergencies and for one year following the end of the national emergency, according to draft legislation. No, I say no. I get it, man. We're in an emergency now, but there are often states of emergency declared for a bunch of reasons you'd probably be shocked by. And then all they have to do is say, well, this is an emergency. Lock him up. You could be a journalist. You could be an activist. You could be someone in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they could declare an emergency and then say, well, you know, desperate times. And then they lock you up. This is why we have a constitution. So I'm willing to accept, although I've never been a big fan of guns, why the Second Amendment exists. And even though I was pretty left on the issue for a lot of reasons, I've resigned for the most part to the fact, well, you know what? The amendment exists. It's not my place to argue whether it should or shouldn't. Or I'm sorry, I, 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 you know, it's not my place to argue whether or not you can or can't own a weapon. We can argue about the Second Amendment, but so long as it exists, then I resign to, to that state where it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. People are going to own guns. The same is true for everything else. We have a constitution to prevent the government from creating BS reasons to detain us and take away our rights. I don't care who is in charge. I don't care who the Department of Justice is run by. They should not have that power. The Constitution should supersede the emergency. This is the point. Before we had the, the Bill of Rights, when, when we as a, as a group of colonies were dealing with the oppression from the British Empire, or whatever it was at the time, they were using arbitrary means to, to seize our assets and, ta- and take away our rights. So our, our founding fathers said, never can the government do this? So no, I do not believe it should, it should ever pass constitutional muster that they would argue, but an emergency, right? No, don't care. I do not care. We saw what the authoritarians did in China. And no, I will not accept that. That will not come to this country. I am willing to accept certain things that we must do in times of an emergency. Like I'll stay home. We will sacrifice. We won't do our, go to our businesses. But detaining people pre-arrest or pre-trial? No. Nah. It's bad enough that people who are accused of crime spend, a t- spend time in jail at all, but that's a compromise. You get arrested. You're not proven guilty. They still, they still put you in jail for a brief period until a judge can, can see you and determine whether or not, based on the charges, you should be allowed to go on bail or bond, whatever. Even still, poor people are left to, to rot in jail, lose their jobs and have their lives destroyed. But you know what? That's the compromise. You're not convicted, but some people, that's the punishment itself. We've got serious challenges in this country if we're going to uphold the Constitution, but it seems like the whole thing is eroding around us. They say the department also asked Congress to pause. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that. Trump recently declared the coronavirus crisis a national emergency. Another controversial request. The department is looking to change the federal rules of criminal procedure in some cases to expand the use of video conference hearings and to let some of those hearings happen without defendants consent, according to the draft legislative text. 
Video teleconferencing may be used to conduct an appearance under this rule. Read a draft of the potential new language for federal rule of criminal procedure, crossing out the phrase, if the defendant consents. Video teleconferencing may be used to arraign a defendant. Read draft text of Rule 10C, again, striking out the phrase, if the defendant consents. So I'll tell you what. I'm okay with teleconferencing. I'm okay with having to detain some people for certain reasons. But here's what I'm not okay with. Let's say that, you know, I talked about this on the podcast the other day with with Adam, Timcast IRL, if you haven't seen it. What happens if in several months, the virus is actually going away and several people say, hey, but look at all the powers we have. We shouldn't give this up. So they crumple up the report and throw it in the trash and then just say, nope, emergency's not over. What happens if we know the virus has gone away, but they claim it doesn't matter. We're still under emergency because it could come back. It's one of the things they've been saying. It could come in waves. So we may be at a point where the hospitals are, are, are now, you know, uh, undue strain has been removed and they're operating normally. And the government could still say, well, well, but it can come back. Now, I'm not OK with that. And I hope the rest of you recognize that we have to defend our civil liberties, no matter who's in charge, because even if you trust the president now, it'll go to the next president. That's the problem. Keep an eye on this stuff. I'll see you all in the next segment tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel.